City Church in Over the Rhine is cultivating the kind of family Jesus introduced to the world in the city of Cincinnati. We're glad you're choosing to listen to a sermon from our weekly service. We would love to meet you. Visit us on Instagram or at citychurchotr.com. Enjoy. So I went to counseling for the very first time at the beginning of 2019. I was about to turn 28 and felt like maybe, just maybe, God wanted me to put off some of the patterns I had gotten really comfortable with and put on some new patterns, develop some new tools, begin to walk with him in some better ways. So marched my little self into my counselor's office. Her name was Rachel, but I began to call her Sister Rachel, not because she was Catholic, but because she was so wise. I used to be like, Sister Rachel said, and Sister Rachel said, and well, when I was with Sister Rachel, um, and one of the things that Sister Rachel told me really early on in therapy or counseling, same thing, is this. Caitlin, you're using a word here. You're using the word but, and I want you to replace it with an and. You're saying, yeah, my grandfather just died, but I'm so grateful that he's out of his suffering. Or friendship is really hard, and I'm kind of lonely, but I'm just, you know, so glad I have friends. And she said, you need to start saying, aunt. Work is hard. I'm not sure how to continue to submit to a boss who may have some narcissistic tendencies. And I'm thankful for what I'm getting to witness God do there. Yes, life has been hard, and it's also really good. And that is one of the things that we're seeking to do with this series called And. That instead of saying but or or, that we would replace that word with and. That instead of as a church going after the word of God or the spirit of God, we would get to say and. We want to be a church that's formed by the word of God, that loves the Bible with all we are, and we believe God isn't done yet. That he still has a word for us this morning, he has a word for us in this season, um, and that he's still speaking to us. And so this morning, well last week, Rob kicked us off with how we can start to hear God's voice. That God speaks both an audible voice sometimes, and he speaks through the word. And this morning, we are going to unpack in the Bible why the Bible matters in our lives. And the Bible matters because, in my opinion, uh, because God, we see through engaging with the Bible, we gain a deeper understanding of how God uses messy people for his glory and kingdom gain. Next week, Chris is going to tell you why the Bible can be trusted. He's going to give like a great scholarly view on the Bible. That's not my expertise. Mine is messy people because I am one. So we're going to start there this morning. But remembering that through engaging with the Bible, and we're going to look at the Bible through one man's story, a man named Peter, we gain a deeper understanding of how God uses messy people like you and like me, for his glory and for kingdom gain. So let me tell you about Peter. Peter was a fisherman. Peter was one of Jesus' first disciples and one of his closest disciples. 
It's thought that Jesus had like two, he had 12 disciples, right, that followed hard after him. That Peter was kind of in the inner circle. He was one of Jesus's best friends. And Peter, prior to following Jesus, he's a fisherman. I just want to think about what Jesus was thinking when he thought that a man that lived on a boat who had no access to a shower should be one of the ones that followed him really closely. I'm glad Jesus picked disciples and not me, because I wouldn't have picked the smelly ones. Um, but he picked Peter. Um, and he reveals himself, like we see two pieces of Peter's calling um, in Mark and in John. And they're a little bit different. In Mark, Jesus says to Peter, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So Peter is given a new job. He and his brother Andrew are no longer to catch fish. They are to go out, follow Jesus, and bring people into relationship with God. To literally travel around the Middle East, bringing people, catching them, and bringing them to Jesus. Saying, come and see, this is the man. And then we see in John's account that Jesus gives Peter a new name. That no longer is Peter to be called Simon, son of John, but that he gets a name called Cephas, which in Aramaic meant rock, which is why we, some of us have heard Jesus called the rock upon, or sorry, Peter referred to as the rock upon which God would build his church. Because God did just that. When Peter comes into relationship with Jesus, we see the way that God redefines Peter's identity. No longer is he a fisherman, but a fisher of men. No longer is he living on a boat in a small lakeside town. He is to follow hard after Jesus. And with this came a new purpose, a new allegiance. And so Peter leaves his fishing boat that he and his brother Andrew owned, and he does just that. He follows Jesus. One of my favorite accounts of Peter is Peter on a boat again, which is kind of ironic. In Mark 4, we see, let me get there in my Bible, um, we see what happens when Peter starts to doubt God and he gets a little bit overwhelmed. And so Jesus has laid out a bunch of parables to a huge amount of people. And then he pulls his disciples close and he says, let us go over to the other side of this lake where he had been preaching. So they left the crowd behind, took him, him being Jesus, along, just as he was in the boat. And there were also other boats out, them, out there. And then something happened. It's dark outside. The waves are kind of going. And remember, Peter was a fisherman. He should not have been that overwhelmed. And yet a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so it was nearly swamped. And when I take a couple of creative liberties here, I'm like, oh, Peter knew what to do. He lived on a boat, after all. I'm sure he and Andrew had the buckets, and they're, like, trying to get the water out of the boat as the waves are crashing against it. And it's super dark outside, because no electricity. And what candles they would have had would probably have gone out, because... Thus, it's so damp from all the water rising in the boat. And they're getting, they're getting scared. And this is, I think in stories, when I've read this before, I'm like, oh my goodness. How bad are you? Like, oh, ye of little faith. And then I'm like, wait, 
You were a fisherman. They weren't being dramatic here. Life really ha was getting chaotic. And so they do what I do. They cried out for Jesus. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The deceit, I just, I would have been so angry. Like, you are in the mid, like, the water is rising up, and you're working hard to try to get it out of the bottom of the boat, and somebody's sleeping? Like, are you kidding? Um, and, but Jesus responds in such a weird way. So Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. I'm wondering if his cushion was getting wet. Um, but the disciples woke him up and said, teacher, don't you care if we drown? And he's asking don't you care? But I think under there are some other questions that I ask God, maybe you ask God too. Do you see me? Are you worried about this too? Life feels really overwhelming and I can't catch a break. Where are you? Where are you when the bills come? Where are you when the job's hard? Where are you when the relationships are falling apart? Are you here? Aren't you worried? Don't you care? And then Jesus, he gets up, he rebukes the wind and says to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the waves died down and it was completely calm. But Jesus isn't done yet. He said to the disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? He's reminding the disciples that even when things are crazy, even in the chaos of circumstances, he's present and he's calm. Do not confuse Jesus's lack of anxiety for a lack of care with what you're going through. He is not anxious and he cares. He can calm the storms and the waves. Even if you might be being dramatic, which Peter wasn't. Um, before I came to City Church, I spent a lot of time in kids' ministry. Third and fourth graders are my jam. They come in like this tall, and they end up like this tall, looking me in the eyes. Um, and they think I'm really funny, so that, like, helps me. Um, and so week after week, I sat in, or I stood in a kids' ministry classroom and would share the gospel and teach right out of the Bible just like I am now. Um, and I came to nickname Peter something. Started calling Peter Pesky Peter because that's what you do. You start naming characters and you try to get them to understand, like, and see themselves in the people in the Bible. Um, and the third and fourth graders knew that I called him this because I did it week after week after week. And one Sunday morning, my little friend Ethan, who was like this tall, and he never grew. He stayed this tall, even in fourth grade, and he had a cute little chubby face. He raises his hand and he says, Miss Caitlin, Miss Caitlin. Yeah, Ethan. Um, I don't think you should call Peter pesky anymore. And if you thought I was caught off guard, all the other third and fourth grade boys look at him and they're like, why did you say that to Miss Caitlin? They were, like, ready to fight on my behalf because I started to, like, raise kids that were really loyal to me. Uh, and they're all looking at him, and they're looking at me, and I took a deep breath, and I said, Hey, Ethan, 
Thank you so much for bringing that to my attention. I love when you guys ask questions. <laughs> Why do you say that? And he looks at me and he says, Miss Caitlin, God doesn't think that Peter's pesky. And I said, Ethan, you're so right. Thank you so much for correcting me. And what's true is this. Peter may have been pesky. He may have been the one that, like, followed Jesus so close on his heels that if Jesus was wearing a shoe, he probably got a flat tire. He kind of just, like, buzzes around Jesus's head, I feel like. Kind of like, yeah, just a little too close. A little too, I just, I don't know, pesky. And God was still going to use Peter for his glory. God was still going to use this man who we're about to find out blows it big time again and again and again. Because the Bible tells us that God uses messy people for kingdom glory or for his glory and kingdom gain. Uh, John 18 is basically like a hall of shame for sweet Peter. Um, he cuts off a guy's ear. And then where we're going to enter the story, he denies Jesus. Um, but because of this, we see the ways that God gives examples of faithful people making big mistakes. Uh, so let me get there in my Bible. Um, John 18. So we have already seen the Last Supper. And Jesus is headed in for his last hours on earth. Um, he's been arrested, um, and the high priest, Caiaphas at the time, he was serving in that role. He is sending his servants out to try to get Jesus and to trap him. And so Peter ends up staying outside in the garden while somebody, one of the other disciples, we don't know who it is. I guess it was John, but Chris could tell you tomorrow or next week. Um, but he has to stay outside. And so Jesus and another disciple are able to go in, and Peter stays outside, and this is where it really goes downhill quickly. Um, Simon, okay, let's see. You, somebody, the servant girl comes up and says, you aren't one of the, this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. He denies Jesus for the first time. It was cold, and the servants and the officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. And Peter continues to hang out with them. And then we have like a little gap in scripture. Well, not gap. A couple verses. We know what's going on inside with Peter and the other disciple. And then skip down to verse 35, and it says, Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, You aren't one of his disciples too, are you? And he denied it, saying, I am not. And one of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had just cut off, which I would not want to come face to face with somebody related to somebody whose ear I had just cut off, but I don't know about you. He said, didn't I see you with him in the garden? And again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Here's what's interesting about the word deny. It actually means to refuse to admit the truth or the existence of. So when Peter denies Jesus, he's actually refusing to admit something that is something that is true. So in Peter's denial, it's not as if he is, it's not as if Jesus is um, holiness or Jesus 
who he is is being questioned. It's that Peter is actually failing to acknowledge what's already true. It would be like me being on the road and you're like, hey, what color's the sky? Is it blue? And I'm like, no, it's black. It really is blue. Um, so I'm denying what is actually true. And so Jesus' uh, messiahhood, his saviorhood, it's not being challenged by Peter. Peter's just failing to acknowledge it um, because he is a messy person making a big mistake. But our mistakes, no matter how big they are, are not the end of the story. In the hours that follow, Jesus is crucified and he dies. And I can only imagine what it would have felt like to be Peter. That that's his last interaction with one of his very best friends. The man that he left everything to follow. It's weighty. And it's hard. And it's really sad that that's where he thinks he's left. But God is awesome. Um, and he is going to show us. Through his word, how he kindly restores Peter. So at the end of John, um, John 21, we re-meet Peter. Here's the funny thing. Peter, who once was a fisherman, successful enough to buy his own boat, he no longer is good at it. He goes back to what he was doing before he met Jesus because he felt unworthy, I would think, of actually doing what God called him to do. There's been no repentance here. There's, you know, he's blown it big time, and there's no restoration yet. And so he goes back to fishing, and he's really bad at it. I mean, they throw down their nets time after time, nothing. And then Jesus shows up on the scene, and they don't realize who he is. And then this Jesus, they don't know who it is, casts the nets down and tells them, like, more's coming, and he does. And they're like, oh, my goodness, you might be Jesus. And they all eat breakfast together because it's awesome to eat breakfast. And when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than the people around you right now? And he says, yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter's hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Three denials, three opportunities for, Jesus, for Peter to declare who Jesus is to him. And actually with this comes a promotion. Throughout the Old Testament, if you're with us in the Bible reading plan, you're learning all about shepherds and God's people and following them. A shepherd is used throughout the Old and the New Testament as a great leader, a man after God's own heart, someone who's kind. Um, at times, a shepherd will actually pick up its sheep. Um, this morning in Psalms, I 
love psalms. That's where I go. Um, King David was talking like, God, you carry me like a shepherd carries his lambs. So when Jesus is saying to Peter, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, he's saying this. Hey, will you shepherd my people? No longer is Peter just asked to go and catch them. He's supposed to take care of them. With this kind restoration, we see in God's word, Peter being reinstated, being restored, and receiving a promotion. And Peter is faithful with that. He goes on and acts. Um, so a couple of days have gone past. Um, and all the Christians, so those who had come to follow Jesus, they were they were both a mixture of Gentiles and then also uh, God-fearing Jews. They come into Jerusalem together for a festival. Um, and then Pentecost happens. And so we see it says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Just kind of cool. I imagine, I haven't been to Asbury, but I know a lot of you guys have visited, um, but there's a move of God happening there. And that's what happened during Pentecost, that the presence of God was so thick that people who knew Jesus started to act in ways that those who didn't know Jesus were unfamiliar with. So we've got the God-fearing Jews and those who knew and claimed Jesus as the Messiah, and then we have those who didn't do that. And those who hadn't done that yet are starting to judge these guys. They're saying like, oh, and they're speaking in tongues. Are they drunk? What's going on? This is chaos. I can't handle it. And Peter gets to be a voice of reason in this situation. And he does it in such a special way. You see, the people who had not given their life to Jesus had still familiarized themselves with the law. They knew the Old Testament so, so well. So Peter appeals using God's word to language they would have been familiar with. Peter, because he knew it so well, he starts quoting from the book of Joel with prophecies. And then he does a deep dive into Psalms. Because they would have sang these songs. They would have known them like we know certain songs. I can say, Jesus loves me, this I know. That was what Peter was doing. He was saying, these are the words you know so well. And then he uses it, words they were so familiar with, to declare what is true about Jesus. In Acts 2, verse 36, after he lays out his argument, he says, therefore, what's the therefore, therefore? Well, let's remind ourselves, okay, because of all these things that the law points out to Jesus, be, let all of Israel, not just the ones who are already God-fearing, but let all of Israel be assured of this. Are you ready for it? Be confident. Be assured. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. He's saying this. 
that Jesus man, who you just hung on the cross, he's both Lord and Messiah. So, why two different words, you ask? Great question. I'm so glad. So, Messiah is a sufferer who is to redeem. But he is a savior. He is to be the sacrifice. And then we've got Lord, which means it's a name that brings dignity and authority. Which is so fun, because we've been talking about the word and, right? We see not just a word, the word God of the word and the spirit of God, but we see another and here. That Jesus, who was fully man, is both Messiah and Lord. And both of them demand a response. So, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? They know it, and I hope you know it too, that the fact that Jesus, who was fully man and crucified on a cross, was also Messiah and Lord, demands a response. And for them, it was an initial salvation. Peter says, he replies, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Peter saying your initial response, because you haven't yet given your life to Jesus, is this. You must repent and believe. What does that mean? I know confusing. So repentance means to stop and to turn. So they were once walking away from God, from Jesus as their Messiah and their Lord, and they're going to stop and they're going to turn back to him. Repent, to stop and to turn. And then as they repent, they're believing and they're going to be baptized because that was the sign of somebody who had come to know Jesus. So there's initial response. And that is repent and believe. But what about those of us who have already initially repented and believed for salvation? There's a daily response that we're invited into. Because a response is still necessary each day when Jesus is both Lord and Messiah. And friends, that response also begins with an S because I love alliteration. It's surrender. It's to say Jesus instead of me. It's to say, Jesus, your way and not mine. And so if we do believe that the Bible matters, if we believe that God is who we say he is, that God certainly will use messy people for his glory and kingdom gain, maybe you find yourself in different places this morning. First of all, let's ask if you've repented initially for salvation. If not, um, when the worship team comes up, there will be people praying in all four corners. They would love to answer any questions that you have about following Jesus. Maybe you have repented and believed, but there might be three different ways that you need to respond to Jesus this morning. The first is this. Invite, Jesus, invite God to redefine who you are and what you're called to do. <clears throat> Maybe you need to invite God to speak over your vocation in a new way. God, I have been doing this job that I do faithfully, and yet I'm not sure if it honors you. Can you help redefine it for me? Maybe you're like Peter in the very beginning of his story, 
where he just needs God to breathe new life into something, and maybe it involves redirection. Or maybe life is so overwhelming. The marriage is falling apart. You don't know if you have any friends anymore. The bills keep piling up. Your car has broken down and you have no way to get anywhere. You're at a dead-end job. The mental health issues are so heavy you can't get out of bed in the morning. Or parenting is really difficult. I don't know where you are. I know that circumstances get heavy and chaotic. Maybe you need somebody to remind you, and one of, somebody on our prayer team would love to do it, or one of our staff members, that you're not alone. Most importantly, God is present in the chaos of your life. And even more than that, our church body wants to come alongside you no matter what you're walking through. And the final thing is this, and band, you can go ahead and come up. Maybe you've blown it big time. Like, so big. Friends, God wants to kindly restore you. And maybe you haven't blown it big time, but you've blown it. I know I've blown it. And all I've needed is for God to come back into my story and restore me, remind me who I am, and put me back on a path to make other, yeah, back on a path to follow hard after him. So no matter where you are um, this morning, like I said, the prayer team will be here. And then also I'm going to pray for us. So if you'll put your hands out like Catherine had us do during the good morning invitation. I'm just going to ask for God to speak to each of us. Dear Lord, we love you. We love your word. Teach us how to apply it to our lives in new ways. And God, if we haven't yet committed our lives to you, or we need to recommit our daily lives to you, would you show us how? Would you make us aware of how we can fully surrender to you, Jesus? It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the sermon from our Sunday service. If we can serve you in any way, please visit our website at citychurchotr.com. If you want to be a part of what God is doing in Cincinnati, you can support us financially. Giving can also be done on our website at citychurchotr.com give.